Thanks for listening to the One Voice Podcast. It's a safe place for conversation on relevant topics with real life stories to encourage and inspire you along life's journey of healing from sexual abuse. I'm Mary O'Brien and now Nicole Braddock Bromley. Welcome back to the One Voice Podcast, where we talk about the healing journey and everything related to it. I am really excited. I think we have our youngest ever guest with us today. I'll tell you a little bit about her and then we'll welcome her to the show. But I think you're going to be really excited um, about what she is able to share with us today. She's just a really brave young survivor speaking out at such a young age. She's about to be a senior in college. Um, But she was a high school standout in soccer and in basketball and in the classroom, too. Her name's Mackenzie Mason. Um, She was named First Team All-Ohio Division II for soccer. She has all kinds of awards in that. She was the 2020 Eagle Gazette Female Athlete of the Year. And they are the ones that said while Mason had an illustrious soccer career, she made certainly a mark on the basketball court and will go down as one of the toughest, most competitive players to ever play at her high school. And she went on to earn back-to-back Central District Championships in basketball and the first district title in their school history, also earning special mention All-Ohio. So welcome to the show, little all-star Mackenzie. Thank you. Yeah, it's really great to have you with us. As we've already talked about, I am just so, I mean, as an athlete, I obviously just adore you already. And I think you're really awesome. But then watching you in the news and seeing your fight off the court. Now that's why you're on the show. So I'm very excited for you to be with us today. And I just wondered if we can sort of unpack that part of your story. There was a few news articles that came out recently talking about the fight that you did off the court to put your high school basketball coach behind bars for what he was doing to you as a teenager. And that takes a lot of guts. And it's something that, you know, as a survivor myself and working with survivors every day, it's something that usually comes out later, you know, as an adult. And you're finally like, okay, now I'm going to talk about this. Now I'm going to deal with it. And a lot of us, the statute of limitations doesn't allow us to even press charges, but let alone we know it's hard. And when it's fresh, it's even harder. We don't want to talk about it. So first of all, kudos to you. We are so proud of you. We're cheering for you and we're grateful. But I want to walk through that journey that just happened. What gave you the courage to finally speak out? Yeah. And I just want to say thank you again for having me on. So for me, it was a little bit of a disaster, honestly. Mm everyone asked like, well, how'd you do it? And I'm like, no, listen, like it was a huge disaster. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. Um, (laughs) You know, I went down a really bad path. So Mm -hmm. COVID hit in my senior year of high school and right before I went into college. So I was kind of a crazy child. Um, They didn't really know what to do with us. So we didn't really have homework. We didn't really have class. Uh, Mm. So I turned to drugs, alcohol, a bad group of friends. Okay. I just went down the spiral and I was like you know like I'm just being a kid like I've done all these things for so many years like I gave up homecomings I gave up prom so I could go be an athlete and I think it all kind of hit me at once when the world stopped spinning Um, Mm -hmm. and I didn't really know how to control it right Mm. then I go into college and my whole freshman year we played 11 games total 
Um, we were sent home right in the middle of season for a month. Oh, um, wow. Because again, they didn't really know what to do. COVID was flying around. People were going yeah. home for the holidays. Yeah. Um, and then even when we got back, we weren't allowed to leave. So we were stuck on campus. And if we left, we were going to be done playing for two weeks because back then you didn't get tested. You were just automatically out for two weeks. Hmm. So the spiral kind of continued again, in-person classes weren't really a thing. It was all Zoom. So you didn't have to worry about waking up, going to class. Um, so I just kind of went into this full cycle of a downhill spiral. Yeah. And, and towards the end of my freshman year, one person in particular, the athletic trainer here at Bethany was like, Hey, like what's going on? Like something's not right. Mm-hmm. Um, cause freshman I was, year of college. Yes. Yeah. Got you. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go home. Like mm. I was petrified. Uh, I was like, I can't sleep when I'm there. Blah, blah, blah. And like, basically it was like, I don't want to go home, but didn't tell anyone why. Mm. So they found a job for me to stay on campus in the summer and they kind of made it up. I was working in the athletic department kind of doing, you know, things here, things there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, bit by bit, I started telling the athletic trainer a little bit of my story of like, well, I'm terrified to go home. Like I don't sleep when I go there. I'm afraid I'll make bad decisions. Cause at this mm-hmm. point, like I was kind of started coming out of that downward spiral. And mm-hmm. I was like, I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. So then she was like, well, I think like we should get you into a counselor. And I was like, no, absolutely not. Like my family didn't really understand the like counseling. They're like, it's going to ruin your life. Like if jobs see that. And I was like, no, I <laughs> I don't know how yeah. I'm going to come off with my family. Mm. My it's like thoughts- such such a stereotype, I think, for like our parents' generation, right? Right. Oh, man. Um, We've got a lot of work to do with them. Right. <laughs> okay. Into my sophomore year, I was like, okay, mm-hmm. like I'll go to counseling, but like you have to come with me the first time because I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. And she basically had to drag me there mm-hmm. <laughs> without dragging me. Yeah. Um, and it came natural. I literally sat down and I was like, yeah, like this is what happened. And I'm pretty much a mess. I don't know where my life is going. Um, I was like, I know I'm in the wrong crowd, but I don't know how to quite get out of it. And it just, it was like word vomit. Mm, that's really brave. And she was like, well, okay, like this is where we go from here. So I started seeing her for the next year or so. Okay. And then, and this was a campus counselor? Yes. Yeah. Great. So it was free. She didn't have to disclose it to my parents right. or anything. Perfect. Yes. Right. So then I started working through a little bit of the trauma and um, started having better coping mechanisms, um, which was huge for me because I was straight, just give me alcohol, like I'll be fine. Like I'll wake up the next morning. Hmm. Um, but again, like I knew like that wasn't a great life for me and especially being an athlete that I wanted to be like, it was just a mix. Mm -hmm. So then fast forward to the start of my junior year and like the very start. So August, September, it was very soon into my junior year. I was like, no, I need to do this. Like I need to start this process. I was like, they're like, I'm not really healing at this point. Like I keep just saying the same thing over and over again. Hmm. So I sent an email to ODE, which is who did investigations the first time. 
in 2020 and I sent them an email back and I said, Hey, I think you guys would need this information, um, about the case that you investigated back in 2020. So why was it being investigated back then? So his wife at the time had called into my school and was like, basically, I think they're having a relationship and you guys need to look into it. Mm. And so ODE and the school looked into it. And again, mm-hmm. at the time I was like, nope, nothing like lips sealed and at the doors of the school. And I was telling me like, Hey, like I'm going to kill myself. If like mm. you say anything, like I have kids to worry about. So I'm like, yeah, no, like, I don't want that to happen. And I was petrified, like literally shaking and bawling my eyes out in the investigations. And I was like, I feel like if that's not a red flag, then I don't really know what else is. Right. Um, Right. So it was, it was closed. Nothing came out of it. Yeah. And basically like it went on like we kept Mm -hmm. contact and even through college, we kept contact and it was Mm -hmm. basically like a, Hey, just checking in like make sure you're keeping our secrets still. Uh, so that's kind of how it came about to start the process. Okay. Of- but they closed it because at that time you felt like you need to protect them and didn't right. disclose. Okay. Right. Yeah. Wow. So you came back and you asked them to reopen the case after going through therapy. So yeah. then what happened? So then within well, this, it kind of gets messy right here. So within mm-hmm. 24 hours, the Lancaster detectives were calling me like, Hey, we need to do an interview. And like, this was new to me. So of course I was like, yeah, like, okay. Like you're going to have to come here. Like I can't just up and leave school. <laughs> right. Um, so they're like, okay, like we'll be down. And it was like, literally within 24 hours, I was giving my statements to the detectives, which was wow. because that never happened the first time. Yeah. It was like, wow, they're really taking this serious. Right. And for me, I was like, okay, like, well, there's no turning back now. Like we got to do it. And the detectives were great though. Like through the whole process of the interviews that are like, if you ever need a break, like just tell us, we'll take a break. Um, And they, they were very empathetic and understanding. Yeah. Um, So it was even better because you have like this type of like detectives coming in like right mm-hmm. you're like putting like you're not the victim like yeah because so many of them are not really trauma informed but it sounds like you had a group who probably were educated in trauma and right. used that with their interview skills right and they, oh, they, so good. they there was a female detective that came mm-hmm. down too so that was even better because again like you go through this trauma and you're like i'm not talking to old white men exactly what I went through yeah I sent a female good Um, and then here's where it gets a little spicy so okay (laughs) we're here for it in 24 hours little Chad little had already known your abuser yes yes that the case was being reopened he knew about it he had called me Mm. and told me and so again, I was like freaking out. I'm like, well, like he already knows, but I mean, at the time it didn't seem like he knew who opened it, but okay. he called me and was like, did you tell anyone? Like I'm taking the kids to their grandparents. Like I'm getting an attorney. And I was like, oh, like we're doing this. And like, I played dumb. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like I didn't reopen it. And yeah, mm-hmm. like it was just 
Like, how did he already know? Yeah. Yeah. And was calling me. Oh, yeah. That must have been scary. Yeah. So that mm-hmm. was probably the first like big battle I had to get over. Yeah. Keep moving. Cause I was like, uh uh-uh, uh, like, I'm not doing this. Right. But you had to do what you had to do to survive. And it sounds like you handled that call really well. Yeah. Was that the last time he talked to you before charges were pressed or did he continue to try to talk to you? Then there was a um, mediated call with the police department. Mm. Um, So that was the last time. Between the two of you? mm -hmm. What? Yeah. Now that doesn't sound very trauma informed. Right. So Hmm. they basically were like, we have enough information to charge him without him pretty much saying he did it. So they're like, if you want to do a mediated call and try to get him to say like, yeah, I did it. Like you can do that. Oh, (laughs) so it was try to catch him. Right. Yeah. Uh, Now, were you able to opt out of that if you didn't feel comfortable? I was. Okay. Um, So that was brave. You were like, let's do it. Yeah, I was like, hey, if I get a few piece of words in there, my mind, like, yeah, but it was, it was just interesting because he answered the call and was like, well, my attorney told me not to speak to you. And then we went on to speak for 20 more minutes. Of course, and, he couldn't help himself. Right. So I was just yeah. like, okay, like, at this point, like, you're just dumb, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but he basically was like. I'm sorry for what I did and like, I'm sorry that I hurt you. And like, I know what happens to me. So ultimately like it did prove to be beneficiary in the trial. Yeah. So, but then you had to go forward with the trial even. Okay. And so in that instance, are you having to like speak on the stand or did that interview you know, speak for itself. How did that work? Because that, I think that's really scary for a lot of survivors is what will this mean for me? How much re-traumatization am I going to have to go through? Right. So I, in my case, ended up pleading out. Um, So they were basically like, we need you to come down. And I said, okay. So we talked a little bit about plea deals. uh, And I was like, listen, the things I want, like I, he needs to go to prison. He needs to be on the sex offender list. And I want to give a victim statement. Mm. And they said, okay, like if that is all you want, then that is what we'll get. And so they're like, the next time we talk, we could either be prepping you for a trial or we're going to give you what the plea is and what their side wants too. Mm. So I think it was a little over a week later okay they called me and said um we've reached an agreement mm. in instant tears I was like in like tears of joy they weren't sad I was like okay like this is like this is gonna happen mm-hmm. and they said four and a half years for each count in my case it was four counts and it can either be served all together as one sentence for four and a half years or they can be stacked up on each other, but the judge will decide that. He said, okay. Um, and a lot of people gave me backlash on the four and a half years and gave 
um, the prosecutor's backlash on the four and a half years. But when they explained it to me, I was like, I was like, I'm okay with that. And because what it means is if you serve five years in a prison, you go back to the state. And basically, like, the state doesn't really enforce strict laws once you get out. Okay. But for anything under five years, you go back to the county. And the county can put in place pretty much anything they want. So, um, Hmm. like, no drinking or alcohol, um, the my protection order. So they can kind of have a... So like you can have a protection against him for the rest of your life. Okay. And so basically they're like, listen, you go to the state, you kind of take your chances, but anything under this, he'll go back to the county. Mm. So I was like, like, I'm okay with that. Um, And again, at the time people were like, well, this is not enough. And I was like, Mm -hmm. but it is. Yeah. Um, Hmm. for me that gave me peace yeah and you were the victim so you you get to decide and for once you actually get control with this guy yeah so then um he's on the sex offender list and court the day that I gave my victim statement he had to sign over his teaching license which I didn't know that was going to happen but clearly like if you surrender them, then you can't go to another state and get them again, which oh, is like, thank goodness. That's huge. I mean, truly, that's huge because these guys, they get away with it. They just leave right. the town, go to another town. No one follows them and they do it all over again. So Mackenzie, that is just, that is amazing. You for sure have saved others from going through the same thing just based on that alone. Which feels great for me because that was like one of my biggest things yeah um, and it was hard to deal with of like are there other victims like did I mm. can I put a stop to it and so that was really hard and then yeah, yeah. my victim statement I gave in court and mm. that was the last time that like I could actually stand up and tell him like this is wow. all I want to do but like I'm not a victim wow so, and wow then, his comment of, well, I need to apologize to the victim. And it took everything in me to keep my cool in the courtroom. (laughs) Because you weren't to say anything back at that point. Right. Yeah. But you wanted to. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Thank you for walking us through that. I mean, I know a lot of times things have to get messy before they get better. Right. And that your story is proof of that, but you kept working on it until you got to the other side. And I'm just really proud of you. Really, really proud of you. Just a little side note. I wanted to let you know about our upcoming survivor cohort. It's an eight week healing e-course for those on the journey of healing after child sexual abuse, sexual assault, or any kind of sexual trauma, where we kind of just gather together as survivors in small group and talk about the healing journey. There's films to watch each week. There's journal prompts to do at your own pace. And then we meet weekly online, virtually, 
in small groups. I co-lead it with a trauma therapist. It's a really meaningful, safe space, and I think you'd really enjoy it. You'd be empowered, you'd be inspired, and it's just good to be in the survivor community. So I hope you'll consider joining us for our upcoming Unleash cohort. You can find all the details and the dates and registration at our website, IamOneVoice.org. Click on Unleash. Also, if you found these podcasts helpful, would you consider supporting our work? We don't run commercials because we want to just give you the information and protect the space as much as possible with survivor stories and help for the healing journey. Any donation would help to keep us going. You can donate at our nonprofit website, onevoice, the number four, freedom.org and click on give. OneVoiceForFreedom.org. Click Give. Thank you so much for your support. So I want to go backwards a little bit, Mackenzie, if you will, because I think it's really important for us to recognize things like red flags, um, things like grooming. I mean, you were 15 years old. This was your high school basketball coach. He was the athletic director at your school. In small town Ohio, which like me, it's like everybody knows everybody. And if you're in any kind of leadership like that, a kid is going to believe that their voice doesn't matter and that this person's does because he holds leadership in the town, blah, blah, blah. So talk to me about what does that look like looking back? Are there, you know, red flags that or grooming tactics that you recognize now that maybe someone listening, maybe they've got a kid, you know, or maybe they themselves, it happened to them. Like, you know, I can relate to your story. We talked about this, you know, before the interview where it's like, you question your own reality and you're thinking, well, my situation must be different, (laughs) you know, because I went through something very similar and you really do question your sanity, your reality. Well, maybe I am just special, blah, blah, blah. It's crazy when you're in it, but when you're out of it, you look back and you're like, okay. And that's what I hear so often. I know Mackenzie, you and I are not alone in this. You know that there are so many others out there, young athletes that are currently in this kind of a system, especially with sports, with coaches who are taking advantage of their power over a young athlete. And the young athlete feels like they don't have a voice and they don't recognize red flags because we're not taught to pay attention to them. So does anything stick out to you now looking back? Um, yeah, actually a couple of things. So one of the things that sticks out to me was, and again, it might not be as big in bigger towns or bigger schools, but in my area, in my town, he knew my whole family. Mm-hmm. So he knew my older sister, my older brother, and like, we were all super close. Yeah. And like at the time was not a red flag. I was like, oh, like he can be trusted. Right. He knew my family. So he must be a good guy. Right. Right. So I think that is a major red flag that we all tend to miss. And especially being in a small town where everyone knows everyone. It's like, oh, he knows my family. Like he's, he can be trusted. And again, that just lets them fly right under everyone's nose. Mm -hmm. So that was a big thing. Looking back, I was like, Mm -hmm. wow. Like, and of course my family was in the courtroom when I gave my victim statement and they felt the trauma from me coming out too. Um, 
about, mm. well, how did we not know? Like, how did we not see? Right, right. Um, so that was a huge one for me. And then the seventh and eighth grade basketball year for me, when he was telling me, like, you're going to be a star, like, you're special, you're something different, mm. like, if you put in the work. And again, like, at that age, I was like, yeah, like, I just, like, I want to be an athlete. My right. two siblings were athletes. So I was like, I want to be better than they were. So then as an eighth grader, I played up with the high school team and went on their like weekend trip, I guess you would call it to Finley University Mm -hmm. and got to play with them. Mm -hmm. Again, like at the time I was like, like, okay, like I'm just like, I'm good. Like I just worked really hard for this. Yeah. And now looking back and I'm not taking away from all the hard work I did put in, but I was I don't think an eighth grader, seventh grader should be allowed to go with the high school team. Like that's a big age gap. Yeah. So it's like that special attention that like with someone who is safe and can be trusted, it's fine. But it's the little things like that, that if it's not someone safe and it's actually a perpetrator grooming you, like we've got to pay attention to these things. Don't just hand your kids over to somebody who thinks you're great. (laughs) Right. Yeah. That's Um, tough. And again, like, I'm doing my senior project on sexual abuse in athletics. So I've wow. been reading a lot about like social capital and capital and communities. And so I think that has been a real eye opener of like, hmm. he was the AD, he was the basketball coach. He had a family in the community. So he had all this built up capital. Yeah. At the time I was just an athlete. Mm-hmm. Like even a teenager, I was such a good athlete and I got all these awards I felt like I had no power to go up against someone that was a family man who that's right been an AD for 20 plus years mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that plays a huge role in I think red flags as well because mm-hmm. you have these people that have built up such this status in the community of well I'm such a good man mm-hmm. that these teenage girls and kids and other families are like well I can't go up against him right so you play into the whole I don't red flags and grooming and everyone Mm -hmm. plays into it at that point because someone says enough is enough that's right yeah, and we see this over and over in sports, like with the Larry Nasser trial and everything. And then it also plays the same way, very specifically, I think, even in the church. You know, there's so often, you know, this is the man of God for our little town, or this is the youth pastor, and he's there to take care of all the kids. And then it ends up there's a huge scandal, and he's abused tons of children, and no one saw it because we all trusted him because of the roles that he played. I love that you're doing that project and I want to see that when you're done. I think that's really, really cool. Um, But it's also so sad because we have so much work to do to educate people in these small towns and families to recognize these power dynamics aren't healthy when it comes to protecting children. Right. Yeah. And we need to ask questions. So those are a lot of really great red flags. One thing that you had mentioned in an article that I read, Mackenzie, you said he knew my darkest secrets. I knew his, I felt like that was another one, right? It's like, it's, we have such a power, um, and control and age gap here. And he's sharing his darkest, darkest secrets with you. That's inappropriate. And I see that too, with a lot of the stories where it's like, 
you are the one that's being confided in like, oh, he, you know, he had a hard childhood and he's now leaning on his player or one of his students or one of the kids in his youth group. Like they aren't, they are not there to hold the pain, the sadness, to hear these parts of the story. That is a boundary that's being crossed. That is a huge red flag to me. I'm glad that you brought that up. Did you feel like that that was something that kind of started early on or did that come later in the grooming process after he had started um, sexually abusing you? No, that came before. So mm-hmm. so that was the setup. Relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like, like, how do you get out of that? Right. And like, especially being young, it's like, well, he knows all my secrets and I'm still in high school. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's play into high school relationships and the drama in the halls and the rumors flying. So, oh yeah, he was all into that. So it wasn't just him sharing his secrets with you. That wasn't a boundary crossing, but it was also him. I'm guessing asking you personal questions. Yep. Yeah where he was the one that, you know, knew everything about you. But then as a little girl, it's like, wow, I love it that this person's so interested in me, (laughs) but it is a grooming tactic that creates safe space that then became something that he used to his advantage. Wow. Well, I'm wondering, you know, as, so then as you go to college and we already kind of talked about that and, and where you started to, the light almost flipped on for you. Right. Um, like, who did you lean on at this time? Like, I feel like you had a great therapist walking you through that. I mean, did you talk, have you talked to even your teammates and things like that as you were going through the process? Did you find a lot of support around you? Or was this something that you were just kind of doing on the side, you know, this, this whole thing on the side and just um, powering through? Did you compartmentalize a lot or how did that look? Um, So I kind of have like my own little second family here. Um, that's really mm-hmm. helped me see the light and like getting me to who I want to be. Yeah. Um, so this little second family has been who I've leaned on the most. Um, that athletic trainer, that was first, like something's wrong. Yeah. Um, wow. one of my roommates that has like turned into another sister to me. Um, mm-hmm. and then my coaches, they've all mm-hmm. been super supportive. So awesome. my freshman year coach was like, Hey, like, come into my office like let's have a little chat like how you mm-hmm. how are you doing mm-hmm. um so he Gosh, was one of those people mean so much i talk about that all the time is the people who you know they notice something's off about us and they simply take the time to ask the question i'll never forget when i was playing in college I had a string of bad games and I had a bad attitude and it was just not going well for a little while. And there was just this one random RA resident assistant who was an upperclassman, but she, you know, was my friend as well. And she just asked me after a game one time, she was like, Hey, I've just noticed you've been a little off lately. Is everything okay? And I didn't want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'm good. (laughs) But I remembered, I remembered you know, that feeling of being seen. And if I was ready to talk about my trauma, it was like, I know who I'm going to go to. I just got to do it when I'm ready. And so I hear that in your story, just the power of being seen. And then the person taking that step to ask a question and check on you. That's awesome. So you took advantage of that. You were like, okay, I actually do need to talk. Mm -hmm. Which has been 
amazing for me in my story. Mm-hmm. Um, so the people at Bethany, my counselor, I now see a trauma counselor too, mm-hmm. um, which I've seen for a little over six months. It was right before the court stuff started. Mm-hmm. Um, so this group of people has kind of been like my go-to circle to lean on. Awesome. Um, I remember having the conversation with my teammates for the first time. And I was like, Casey, I'm going to need you there. He's the athletic trainer. I was like, I need you there just for moral support. Um, mm. I cried. I was like, listen, like, I know, like, I'm probably not alone. And when I'm saying this, which is horrible in itself. Um, but like, this is what I'm going through. Um, be more patient with me. Like, I'm going to have bad days. Um, yeah. And I also was like, I hope you understand, like, from past years of when I had a bad attitude or when, like, I just seemed, like, out of it where you, like, where I was coming from. Yeah. Um, and they were great. They were, like, big group hug and everyone was crying. Oh, that's um, amazing. So they were great in the process and always checked up on me and were like, hey, mm. like, I know you got to be out of town today. Like, listen, if you need anything, let me know. Um, mm. so they were great in that process as well. Yeah. And saw you as more than just an athlete, you know, as a whole person, that's very special and really good. So I think you're a lot like me and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but like basketball was like, it was a healthy out- outlet for me in a lot of ways. It was a safe space for me. It was something where like I could control it. I could, you know, I had fun with it. That's was my family. Um, but at the same time, like there, I had to make sure I was balanced with it. And especially for you where your abuser was connected to the sport, Mm -hmm. you went on to play in college, you know, despite that, I think that's really powerful. I just wonder what does that relationship to your sport look like? you know, when it was used against you in some ways, just because of the relationship? Yeah. So my freshman year in college and my sophomore year, I was very bad at recognizing when I was triggered. Um, Mm -hmm. I would go to practice and have a horrible practice and I would stay in the gym extra, like get shots up or whatever Yeah. for hours. And I was Mm -hmm. like, that's the only place I really knew who I was. Yeah. It was like an identity. Right. Yeah. So then junior year came around and I've been working with a counselor and seeing my triggers. Um, and I got better at, okay, well, I'm having a really bad day. Like I know nothing's going to go in because that's just who I am. Like I'm going to step on the floor <laughs> and it's going to be an absolute crap show the entire time. I'm going to pull the ball off my foot. It's going to be what it is. It's fine. <laughs> So I got better at recognizing when I was having a bad day and especially going through all the court stuff. um, Mm -hmm. I I was like, I'm just, I'm going to go and be a passer. I'm going to be a clapper. I'm going to be a high fiver, whatever it is. I'm just going to do that and have fun with that. Um, That's really healthy. But Mm -hmm. a lot less than before. And now going into my senior year, I've already wrote my letter for my last game and I cried because I'm like in an envelope and was like open on your last game. So that's a really good idea. Healthier relationship now. And I'm like, I just want to go have fun. Like it's my last year. I've dealt with the court stuff, adversity with teammates. I got a new coach. Um, Mm -hmm. I had knee surgery. So it's been like all these things. I'm like, I'm just, I'm just going to go have fun. 
Wow. That's really healthy. Gosh, I wish I had that kind of health at your age. I always led my team in foul outs and I think there's a problem there. Oh, wow. Okay. Let's talk about the fact that you went to play in college for another male coach. Was there any, were you able to just separate it out because it wasn't the same one or did you have any kind of issues with male authority and male coaches that was that triggering for you at all? Yes, we <laughs> butted heads so much. Um, and again, it was, I always had coaches who were super hard on me because mm -hmm. I always expected the most out of myself and my teammates. So they knew yeah. like they could push me a little extra. Uh, but man, it was, we <laughs> bought like cats and dogs. And again, there we always like, I'd go into his office the next day and be like, listen, you're right. Like I should have looked at you. I shouldn't have <laughs> rolled my eyes. Like I understand. Okay. Um, but he was also one of the first people to ask me like, Hey, what's going on? Okay. Um, you kind of know, um, especially going through trauma, like you have a very good gut instinct. Mm -hmm. So when I visited Bethany for the first time, I was like something about it. And I was like, not even like, I love the campus and I love my coach. Like they were all great in the recruiting process. But mm -hmm. I was like, thing about Bethany, like it's just telling me to come here. Mm -hmm. um, and I never would have guessed that Bethany would have brought out this me. Right. Yeah. Would you say that until you were there, you thought that would just remain a secret never to be told within you? Yeah. Um, we actually, me and my abuser had to pack, like take it to the grave. Mm -hmm. um, so I never in a million years would have guessed that I would be sitting here today talking about it, let alone him being behind bars. Man. Wow. Yeah. What healing will do, right? What finding your voice will really do for you. Right. That's amazing. Wow. Well, I know that you have a lot of dreams for your life. I know like me, you're studying psychology. I know you're, you know, you're doing your project on sexual abuse. I just see your future in a lot of ways is related to you finding your voice with this. It's so amazing and powerful. I think you're going to go places. What are your dreams? What are your dreams? You know, it related to your story or not just, I'm wondering what, what's in there that you, yes. you picture um, for your future. When I came to college, I wanted to be an international business major and I wanted to travel the world. Mm -hmm. And I still want to travel. I love traveling. But mm -hmm. now I eventually want to get my degree in clinical counseling mm -hmm. um, and hopefully become a speaker that can travel and hopefully share my story and some of the signs and help yeah. protect people. Wow. That's awesome. So good. So what is keeping you alive right now? What gives you life? Like, you know, you, I'm sure this stuff comes up. Mm -hmm. There are always triggers. Healing is a lifelong journey. You're studying it, so it's coming up, you know. Um, but what keeps you kind of alive in in life? What what are the little things like? What's your what's your healthy coping look like? Um, I love to be artistic now, mm. um, and I always have, but I never really realized how powerful it was for me and like expressing who I am. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing that just keeps me going, and okay. then just the love of that I have surrounding me. Um, my second mm -hmm. family at Bethany, they've been great and honestly, like have kept me alive this far. Um, mm -hmm. 
especially Casey. She's uh, found me in some pretty bad spots. So they've been super great in my healing process. And then I just, I love to help people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always had it in me to help people, but I was kind of always that stubborn, like I'll fix it on my own type person. And then mm-hmm. once I started sharing my story, I was like, my role is to help other people. Like, yeah. And when I came out, like no one really talked about this kind of stuff. Um, it was kind of just this big cloud that was like, we're going to avoid this at all costs. Mm -hmm. Uh, So my goal, if I can help one people by talking about what I went through, then I've already saved another life. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, no doubt you're doing that with your story and just your boldness and strength. You've got it. You've got it all Mackenzie. I'm really excited for your future. Uh, what would you say to those that, you know, are listening that one person that you want to make a difference in their life, they're listening and they're relating to you, you know, maybe they've never found their voice. Maybe they're in it right now. Maybe they're remembering some things that went down that, that just feels very similar. What would you say to somebody like that today? The first thing I would say is you're not alone. Mm -hmm. Um, I always felt that I was alone in this. And then I came out with my story and I was like amazed by the people that reached out to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, like if you are one of those people, like my DMs are always open and Mm -hmm. I try to make that very public. Um, And again, no one's story is the same. So your story is valid. Don't ever think that because mine was worse than yours or yours, yours was worse than mine, that it's not valid. And that you are the storm that got me through a lot of the hard days. Um, Casey always telling me like, you are the storm. So I like to unpack that a little bit. What's that mean to you? What's that look like? That's cool. Um, so on the days where it was all dark and cloudy, she would always say, you are the storm and that you're going to make it pass. So Mm. the quote behind it is the devil whispered to her, you cannot withstand the storm. And she whispered back, you are the storm. Wow. Chills. That's great. Thanks, Mackenzie. You are a light and you are a force to be reckoned with. You certainly are the storm and we are excited to see where this storm goes. (laughs) We'll be following you. So Mackenzie, I mean, would you like, you are what, 21, you're about to be a senior. Maybe you don't need a bunch of followers, but if you do, would you want people to track you down social media or how does that look for you? Yes, of course. Okay. Give us all your handles. <laughs> um, yeah. So my Instagram is just Kinsey K and okay. my Facebook is just Mackenzie Mason. So those are the two platforms I really use the most. So. Awesome. Okay. Well, we'll put that in the show notes so people know exactly how to spell it and everything. But wow. Thank you so much for your time today, getting up early on a summer day. I appreciate your voice and I'm just looking forward to keeping in touch with you. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Until next time. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe, write a review if you heard something you liked, even invite others to listen so we can be on this healing journey together. You can check us out on Facebook or go to IamOneVoice.org.